Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Refactoring, the Ruby edition, and we're on chapter six, Composing Methods. This week, we're going to look at remove assignments to parameters, replace method with method object, and substitute algorithm. Remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find this week's reading? I liked this week's reading. There were a couple of points where I was I was a little bit concerned that I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Um, so it was one of the readings where I couldn't I couldn't just read it straight through and feel like, okay, good, I, I get it. I had to read a couple of the methods over again and really slow down and read the code to get it. Um, but it was really good. I felt like the, the pace was a little bit faster and it was just full of really good information. So I was pretty happy with it. What about you? It was okay. With remove assignments to parameters, I remember... It took me a long time to get through it because I struggled with the pass by value and pass by reference distinction. So I had to go and research. I was on Stack Overflow for ages. It took me a while to find an example that got the distinction clear in my head. And then with replace method with method object, I think that initially took me a while just trying to, because it was the first example where the code transformation like ends in a diagram as opposed yeah. to the code. I was so annoyed. Like, Darn it, I can't skip the diagram this week. I have to actually understand what's going on. Yeah. And so I had to spend time. And I remember Googling for the Sandy Metz diagrams because I know she did similar. I, th- I don't know if they're UML diagrams or how we would classify them here, but, you know, working out what the different lines mean. Um, and then substitute algorithm, thankfully, was pretty straightforward. Um, so it was okay. It was okay, but by the end, I feel, you know, I've got a good grasp of what's going on. But again, I've, I've also got that thing at the back of my mind of, but will I know when to implement these things? Will I rem- remember them? But I guess, you know, it's continually reading, continually coding, and then eventually the two worlds will come together. <laughs> but that's a really good point, because I think for me, what I've been trying to do, and I specifically did it for this week, is to look at the motivation, the example, and to say to myself, okay, well, how would I identify the situation in the future? And for something like remove assignments to parameters, I said to myself, okay, well, there's if there's a long list of parameters, then that's, or um, arguments, that's a clue. That's a clue that mm-hmm. maybe this might be the right tool. So looking at the examples and solutions and trying to find you know, distinctive features to mm-hmm. say, look out for these in the future is something I'm, I'm trying to get myself to do while reading this book. Yeah, definitely. So shall we crack on with it? So for remove assignments to parameters, this one feels pretty straightforward, but it also made me feel like, but why are we doing this? And so this is when the code assigns to a parameter and instead we want to use a temporary variable. So the really simple example they give is a method def discount. It takes in the arguments input val, quantity, and year to date. And then in the body of the method, it says if input val is greater than 50, then input val minus equals two, end, and then the method ends. And so right there, what we're doing in that conditional is we are reassigning that input val parameter, and we are basically replacing it with a new thing uh, that also takes it input val. So instead, what we want to do is we have def discount taking in the same arguments, input val, quantity, and year to date. But first, we want to set a new temporary variable. So we want to set result equal to input val. 
And then we have the conditional, if input val is greater than 50, then result minus equals 2. And, and then the method ends. And so here what we're doing is, instead of reassigning the input val argument that we passed in, we're just creating a new temporary variable instead and assigning that to a parameter. Yes, and this, and this is where I started to get a bit stuck because we start talking about the difference between passed by value and passed by reference. So one of the first things that the authors clarify is what do we mean by assigning to a parameter? And so they say, if you pass an object named foo as a parameter to a method, assigning to the parameter means to change foo to refer to a different object. And so they've got this example where it says def, a method, and then foo as an argument. And it says foo.modify in some way, that's okay. So the authors are saying, if you're calling a method on foo and modifying the object, that's fine. But if you say foo equals another object, then trouble and despair will follow you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dramatic. <laughs> right. And so the reason why these uh, there are different responses to these two things is because of the difference between pass by value and pass by reference. So it took me a long time to find a definition that made these distinctions clear in my head. I felt like across Stack Overflow and other blog posts, there was just terminology that made it more complicated than it needed to be. But essentially, I did find a good or a more simple definition on the Treehouse website. Oh, interesting. We haven't had a Nadia sidebar in a very long time. I know, I'm so excited. And so when we talk about um, the difference between passing by value and pass by reference, what do we mean? So when we're passing something by reference, that means we essentially have one copy of the variable. And if uh, a function or a method is passing that variable by reference, then we're directly modifying that variable, that one copy that we have. Mm -hmm. But when we're passing by value and we pass that variable to a function, then we essentially have two copies of the same variable. And that copy within the scope of the function or the method is the thing that is modified and we leave the original one unchanged. And so is that what we want? So it's less about what we want and I guess more about the fact that Ruby uses pass by value only. Mm. So there are other languages that use pass by reference, but Ruby uses pass by value. And so this means that, and it says here, with pass by value, any change to the parameter is not reflected in the calling routine. And I think this is what's, what this is saying, is that you're not ever editing the original value outside of the scope of the method. But the other thing is that the other reason why we don't want to do um, assigning to parameters is given that we're dealing with value and we're not sure what copies we're dealing with, once we start assigning and reassigning um, the parameter within the method, we can get confused as to what the state of that variable is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it sounds like because of the way Ruby works, we want to deal with the original as much as possible and we don't want to, we don't want to assign it and make copies because it might be hard for us to keep track of what copies are doing what. Yes, I think basically everything is simpler if you're you're if you're gonna deal with another object entirely, then just call it something else because mm -hmm. you're probably gonna get confused down the line. But it's definitely okay within a method to modify an object. Got it. So modify, but don't reassign using the same stuff because it'll confuse you and trouble you and fill you with despair. Exactly. 
So we are going to look at one more example that I really appreciated because it, it really illustrated the differences to me between uh, the way Ruby works and kind of the, the trouble we might be able to get ourselves into. So we start with a class called Ledger, and we have the adder reader balance, and then we have our definitialize that takes it an argument balance, and then we set at balance equal to balance end. Then we have another method called def add that takes in an argument. And then we have at balance plus equals arg. And then we move on to a new class called product. And here we have a method def self dot add price by updating. And that takes in two arguments, ledger and price. And then we call ledger dot add and that takes in the argument price. And then we have puts and then the string ledger and add price by updating colon. And then we're interpolating ledger.balance. Then we have another method called def self dot add price by replacing. And that takes in two arguments, ledger and price. And in the body of that method, we have ledger equals ledger dot new. And that takes in ledger.balance plus price. And then we have puts. And then there's a string ledger in add price by replacing colon. And they interpolated ledger.balance. So here in our class product, we have two ways of adding price, one by updating and one by replacing. And the idea is to show us the different ways that that might work. So in our add price by updating, we are just updating the ledger object. But in add price by replacing, we're actually reassigning our ledger uh, variable to a new instance of the ledger class. So to see how it actually plays out, we create L1 equals ledger.new taking in the argument zero. And then we call product.addPrice by updating, and then we pass in that L1 and the number five. And then we call puts and the string L1 after add price by updating colon interpolated L1.balance. So when we call those things, we're able to see what happens with our balance once we've added the price by updating, and then what happened to the original balance value of our ledger. So if we look at the results of that, we'll get ledger and add price by updating gives us five and L1 after add price by updating gives us five. So we have five and five and that is what we expect. But when we look at what happens if we try to do the same thing by replacing, here we have L2 equals ledger.new taking in the argument zero. So we're setting it up the same way. And then this time we're calling product.addPrice by replacing and we're passing in L2 and then five. And then we're calling puts the string L2 after add price by replacing colon, and then we're interpreting L2.balance. So we're able to see what happens with our L2 object when we call add price by replacing, and to compare that with the actual balance of L2. And so when we call that, we get ledger and add price by replacing is five, which is what we expect. But now we have L2 after add price by replacing, the balance of that is zero. So we see that we have two different values. We have one that gives us five, one that gives us zero. And that is the despair and confusion that we are trying to avoid. Right, because whilst we reassigned L2, a parameter within um, the scope of the method, it's not reflected outside of the method body. So the original L2 has not been changed. Yes, exactly. So next, let's look at replace method with method object. Okay, so in this case, You've got a long method that has a lot of local variables, and this means that you can't use extract method. 
And so the solution here is to turn that method into its own object. So all the local variables become instance variables, and then you'll be able to apply refactorings like extract method. And so the reason why we do this is because we know that small methods are great. You know, they're wonderful. They're much easier to deal with. They're more maintainable. When we see these long methods, we want to break them down. But often the thing that stops us is when we have local variables. So before we've looked at cases where it's been pretty straightforward. Maybe we've got one local variable that we can pass as a parameter. But when you've got many and they're used in different ways, it's not so obvious what you can do. And replace temp with query helps here. But sometimes it still is not enough. And so this is why you need replace method with method object. And this is one of those ones that even after reading it, it's not like an obvious, oh yeah, obviously I do that or I've done that before. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This method was one that's a bit more, it's a bit more um, obscure, I would say. Yeah, and it was interesting because the the solution that it that we end up with is creating a new object but i would argue that you might want to start by creating a new struct and then decide if you actually need a full object Mm, check you with your improvements (laughs) again Because this is one of the things where I think it was in 99 Bottles, it, it felt very familiar, you know, this idea that we have a lot of things we're trying to organize and we we feel that it's it's not, we, we can tell that it's not in the best position it is now because there's like a long string of arguments that we're assigning. Let's see if we can organize that a little bit more. And to me, the clue was when they talk about the constructor and using that. And I thought, I feel like if the idea is to structure it, we can use a struct. So... I think on the, on the face of it, that sounds reasonable. So let's look at the mechanics. So this they've just lifted from Kent Beck's small talk best practices. So first thing we do is create a new class and name it after the method, the method that we're refactoring. So then we give the new class an attribute for the object that hosted the original method. So for example, if you had a class, a cake with a method carrot, and you were creating the carrot class, then you'd give that an attribute cake. And then you also give the new class an attribute for each temporary variable and each parameter in the method. So it's a lot of attributes. Then you give the new class a constructor, so that's the initialize method, and that takes the source object and each parameter. And then you give the new class a method named compute and I wonder how how strict that is that step I was wondering that too I couldn't tell if that was just a convenient name for the example or if that was a like part of the the recipe itself it's probably part of a convention um because the mechanics of it are that you're going to put all these things together and then like almost like with a block dot call I guess it's probably Mm -hmm. that kind of thing Mm -hmm. anyway so then you copy the body of the original method that you're factoring into this new compute method and use the source object instance variable for any invocations of methods on the original object. So anything that refers to the original object will have an instance variable that you can use, run your tests, and then replace the old method with one that creates the new object and calls compute. And then apparently we'll be in a situation where all the local variables are now attributes, so we'll be able to easily break up the method and do extract methods and not have to worry about passing parameters. And I don't think they actually said this in this section, but it also made me feel like there was, it was just better organized that way. So in the example, we have class account, and we have the method def gamma, and that takes in three arguments, input, val, quantity, year to date. 
And then we have important value one equals input val times quantity plus delta. Important value two equals input val times year to date plus 100. And then we have the conditional if year to date minus important value one is greater than 100, then important value two minus equals 20, end. And then we have important value three equals important value two times seven. And then we have a comment that says, and so on. <laughs> and then we have important value three minus two times important value one. And uh, the authors basically say that none of this actually makes sense and that this logic was made up as they went along. So <laughs> don't worry too much about what's actually going on. Um, the part that matters is how we're going to break this up. So we're going to take our method called gamma and we're going to make it into an object of its own. So now we have class gamma and we have add our reader account Input val, quantity, year to date, important value one, important value two, important value three. And so account is that original object that we were messing with. And then the input val, quantity, year to date come from the arguments that we gave to gamma. And then important value one, important value two, important value three are the temporary variables that were used inside the method. So we have that done. Now we're going to add our constructor. So here we have our definitialize, and it's going to take in four things. It's going to take in our account, input val arg, quantity arg, year to date arg. And so that is representative of our original object, as well as the attributes uh, from the parameter that we were using in our gamma method. And inside of that initialize method, we have at account equals account, at input value equals input val arg, at quantity equals quantity arg, at year to date equals year to date arg. So now that we have that constructor, we can move on to the original method. And here we are going to create our def compute method. And this is where we do all the stuff that our original method was doing. So we have at important val one equals input val times quantity plus at account dot delta. And so what's important here is instead of just having delta because we're in a new class, we're not in our account class anymore, we have to make sure we call delta on the at account object. And then we have at important val two equals input val times year to date plus 100. Then we have if year to date minus important val one is greater than 100, at important val two minus equals 20, end. And then we have at important val three equals important val two times seven, and so on. And finally, we end with at important val three minus two times important val one. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> So when we look at the body of compute, it actually looks almost identical to the body of the gamma mm -hmm. method we had in our class account. But the thing we have to remember is that we now need to make sure that we're calling certain things on the account object because we have that object now. And because we have our implicit receivers, the rest of it, like input val, quantity, year to date, actually look the same. But we know that this time they are referring to attributes that belong to our gamma object instead of our original at account object. And because we're doing it this way, our def compute doesn't need to take in all those arguments the way that our original def gamma method did. So that part is a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer. So now when we talk about actually implementing this, we're going to go back to our account class. And we're going to go back to our def gamma method because we're going to use that to delegate to the new method object. So we have def gamma taking in the arguments input val quantity year to date. And now we're calling gamma, the class, dot new, and we're passing in self input val quantity year to date. And now we're calling dot compute. So with our dot compute, we're delegating that and handling the um, 
handling all of that stuff in our new method object. And I like that the authors go one step further and show us how things like extract method now become easier. So they've got that compute method there. And the bit where it says, if year to date minus imported value one is greater than 100, then, you know, subtract 20 from the instance variable important value two. What they've done now is they've replaced those lines with a method called important thing. And then we see the definition of important thing with those three lines of code in there. It's nice that they demonstrate those those benefits straight away. And what's nice about that is because we've moved that over to a whole other place, we can make that extraction without having to worry about, you know, where do I where do I put my arguments? They follow me, where are they? Because the arguments that we're using actually are attributes that belong to that object. So it makes extraction a lot easier. Yes. And so now we move on to substitute algorithm. So this is the case where uh, you want to replace an algorithm that you have in your code with one that is clearer. Pretty simply, this says you've got some code that looks complicated and you have a better idea. And so what you should do is replace the body of the method with the new algorithm. And so as an example, they give us a method called found friends, which takes the argument people. And we initialize a variable, f the temporary variable friends as an empty array. And then we say people.eachdo person if person equals equals Don, then shovel in Don to the friends array. If person equals equals John, then shovel in John to the friends array. And if person equals equals Kent, then shovel in Kent to the friends array and return friends. So a much clearer way of doing that is to say do person, And then we have percent %w with the arguments Don, John, and Kent. That creates an array of strings with those names dot include person, end. So it's much simpler, much more straightforward. And the motivation for this is pretty simple. If you find a clearer way to do something, do it in that clearer way. And the authors point out two cases where you're likely to want to do that. And, and this is, I think, in particular, the, a, a situation where you just see a simpler way that becomes apparent to you, as opposed to through any other sort of refactoring. So it might be that you've been working on a problem for a long time, you learn more about it, and then you just realize there's an easier way of doing it. And that tends to happen, you know, we can look at things for a long time, and we just become very familiar with all its nooks and crannies. And so, you know, another way becomes obvious to us. And then there's the another case where you may, you might start using a gem or a library, and that has features that duplicate some of what your code's already doing. And so you can just strip your um, your logic out and just call the methods in that library. And one of the things that the authors advise is that, you know, if you're going to do substitute algorithm, make sure that before you do that, you've decomposed the method as much as you can, because when you're substituting something that's, you know, quite tricky, quite complex, that in and of itself is difficult, and you can make it easier by simplifying it. So it's interesting because the chapter is called Composing Methods, but a few times just in this reading alone, we've talked about decomposing the methods first and really breaking them down as far as they can go and kind of rebuilding them back up again in a way that might be easier, simpler, more straightforward, more flexible. Uh, and so I, I really like just that that image of just you know breaking it down into its its bare pieces and and in that way making our code stronger and better. Yeah, and I mean the mechanics of this are very straightforward. Prepare your alternative algorithm, run the new algorithm against your tests, always be testing. And if the results are the same, then you're done. And if they aren't the same, then use the old algorithm 
and use that for comparing against your new one um, as you test and debug further. So in the last refactoring method substitute algorithm, we talk about how we might come across a gem or library that already has a method built in for the longer method that we wrote, and we can easily substitute ours with the library's method. But that comes at the cost of using the full library. So we want to know, how do you decide when to import a library and leverage the substitute algorithm method? And when do you prefer to keep your longer solution instead of importing a whole new library? Tweet us your responses at Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!